Welcome to the Wildscast. Our guest is Abdullah Antepli. He's a globally acknowledged scholar and leader of cross-cultural and cross-religious dialogue in American higher education and in the nonprofit world. He's built multiple organizations and initiatives to facilitate religious and spiritual life across American college campuses, sowing seeds of understanding between religions while upholding their cultural integrity and dignity. In July of 2019, Antepli joined the Sanford School of Public Policy as associate professor of the practice, with a secondary appointment at the Divinity School as associate professor of the practice of interfaith relations. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wilds cast. I have a very distinguished guest uh, joining me um, this evening, and that is Imam Abdullah Antepli. That was pretty good. <laughs> close, close enough. Close uh, enough, okay. Shalom so, and salam alaikum, everyone. Okay, shalom aleichem to you. Salam aleichem. And Imam Abdullah is a globally acknowledged scholar, leader of cross-religious and cross-cultural dialogue in American higher education and in the non-for-profit world. He has built many organizations and initiatives to be able to facilitate religious and spiritual life across American college campuses. And he's really responsible for a tremendous amount of understanding between the different faith systems um, while upholding also their cultural integrity and dignity. And, and back in 2019, uh, Imam Abdullah joined the Sanford School of Public Policy as an associate professor and also another appointment at the, their Divinity School. Uh, he also worked on a variety of faith-based humanitarian and relief projects in Burma and Malaysia uh, with the Association of Social and Economic Solidarity with Pacific Countries. Uh, he's in, got an incredible, incredible resume. From 2003 to 2005, he served as the first Muslim chaplain at Wesleyan University, then went to Hartford Seminary in Connecticut. He was at Duke University. He was actually Duke University's first Muslim chaplain and then the director of their Center for Muslim Life from July 2008 to 2014. Um, he is one of the top leaders uh, being called today one of the most prominent Muslims leader, Muslim leader in, in, in higher Jewish, edu in higher education, I should say. Um, so welcome, Iman. Uh, welcome, I I Iman Abdullah. It's really, really an honor and pleasure to have you with us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure and honor is also mine. Thank you for that gracious introduction. Well, so tell we're going to jump right into it. Um, you had a phenomenal dialogue back in 2016 with the late and great uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And in right. that, may his memory be a blessing. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we had the honor at MGE of hosting him. I had a personal relationship with him, and he was just a gem of of of, of a, a spiritual personality who was taken from us way too young. Um, you mentioned in that conversation with Rabbi Sachs that you grew up having read three anti-Semitic books by the time you were 15. Mein yeah. Kampf, a translation of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and Henry Ford's The International Jew. Um, what were your perceptions of Jews that you grew up thinking about? And where are you from? You're from Turkey originally? 
I am from Turkey originally. I grew up in the southeastern part of Turkey on the border with Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, many of us who are blessed not to grow up in a hateful environment, we really may or may not understand the effect and impact or seductive attraction of hate. Often, if you look, people who are attracted to violent ideologies or hateful ideologies, because they are looking for answers. They are looking for answers to complicated questions, or they, they, are, they are trying to make sense of their life, uh, which is miserable. Uh, their lives are perpetual failures uh, in their personal life or the, in the society that they are living in. I wasn't alone. Like most people growing up as... Uh, as the descendants of a wonderful civilization, many Muslims in the Middle East, in North Africa and other places, they wake up every morning asking themselves, after so many years of golden ages of Islam, what went wrong? Why are we failing? Why are we economically, socially, politically, athletically, like in every category, you see that you are part of a society that is constantly losing. And what hate does, it takes these complicated questions and gives you a very simple, compelling, convincing, black and white, essentialist, simplistic, reductionist answers. And I was regretfully introduced to a very sophisticated anti-Semitic literature, three of them you mentioned, really convinced me for a number of years, the failure of Islam, the failure of Ummah is because of this evil community, evil religion who are behind the banks, who are behind the media, who are behind the Western powers, and constantly and innately trying to uh, defeat Islam, humiliate Islam, is designed systems that will be hostile to Islam. And Israel's creation and presence was another manifestation of that assault, that crusade to the Islam. So it wasn't a bias. I was made to believe for a number of years that Judaism as religion and Jews as people are irredeemably evil. Thank God um, that that anti-Semitism was pushed to my heart through through mainly secular nationalist chauvinist education that I was part of. I became religious. I was introduced to religion through mainstream Islamic understanding. It was my attraction to Islam, my religiosity, me becoming a from Muslim, pious mm. Muslim, governing Muslim saved my soul. God of mercy didn't allow me to keep that poison in me, that toxicity in me. Through the teachings of Islam, through becoming religious, I was able to take the nearest exit and now have been driving in the opposite direction as as, as fast as I can. So you're saying, this is fascinating, Imam, you're saying that what influenced you in anti-Semitism was a more of a secular nationalistic education and it was your finding, um, your finding your faith, yes, um, in the Quran and in Islam, that made you more open to Jews. It made initially uh, the 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 morality that's being taught through Quran, the ethical principles that the Prophet Muhammad represents. It made uh, the kind of poison that I swallow. It made uh, anti-Semitism irreconcilable. I couldn't reconcile learning about the mercy, compassion, love that I am supposed to I'm supposed to live through with the kind of intense hate that I feel for Jews and Judaism. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of pushed the relig- anti-Semitic hate out of my system. And then that recovery journey, because 
the act of tishwa, act of Muslim repentance, is not just instantaneous. You don't just ask forgiveness and be forgiven. If you re are really serious about being forgiven or asking forgiveness, both figuratively and literally, you beat your chest like you, uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters do on Yom Kippur. You try to understand why I was lied to in the first place, why I swallowed unfiltered. I, I wasn't able to filter out the hate for a very long time. In what way I can turn this into a recovery and in what way I can turn my recovery into a source of education to other Muslims who are as vulnerable, if not more, to similar anti-Semitism as I was. And, 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 and you're talking about anti-Semitism that, that was found in nationalism, in secular nationalism, not yes. anti-Semitism coming from the Quran or from no. Islam. Because you're there saying... Are, there, yeah. are, there are those kind of anti-Semitisms as well. Right. Um, the anti-Semitism that is coming from the foundational text of Islam. I think the evil organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah, if you look into their filthy literature, like Hamas Charter is a very despicable, re reprehensive uh, example of uh, religious anti-Semitism. But my anti-Semitism was coming from Turkish nationalism mm -hmm. uh, and, and the kind of chauvinistic, um, uh, fascistic in a way, understanding of the world and how world runs it's just uh, i'm just I, i'm sorry to keep dwelling on this but i just think this is so interesting to me and i really appreciate you sharing this journey the spiritual journey of yours and it's so refreshing because if you would turn on the television and watch any of the more secular let's say hosts of a, of a late night show right. right they would they would think or they would say that most of the anti-Semitism found, let's say, in the Muslim world is coming from, from Islam. And the more, the more you can get away from Islam and the more your country can become secular, um, then the more likely you'll be able to get along with Jews and not hate Jews or the West. Um, regretfully, regretfully. It's such a reductionist, unhelpful, superficial understanding. They make similar irresponsible and misleading and inaccurate assumptions about Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well, as if religion is only the source of uh, violence. Religion is only fueling the fire and conflict, as if religion cannot play any role. Um, that shows the secular bias or liberal, progressive, lefty, non-religious bias against religion. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is one of the many reasons why this conflict has gone the way it has gone, because potential power of religion as a healer, as a repairer, was never utilized. That aspect, of, that aspect of religion is never understood. But going back to the point, you're absolutely right. It is counterintuitive in the minds of many Western secular people that, the, that religion can actually help people recover from their anti-Semitism. Or uh, secular people are not vulnerable towards different forms of hate, including anti-Semitism. Yeah, I mean, we've, I've always argued this and a lot of other, I think, people in the Jewish community, when we talk about the, the crimes against humanity of the 20th century, yes. by, by Joseph Stalin, by, by Hitler, you know, they wow. were, right, by Mao, these were not inspired by religion at all. There were more people killed in the name of nationalism and secularism than, than they were mm -hmm. by... But, but so how do you then explain, help us and help our listeners understand why there seems to be an association between the more religious um, a country is in, in terms of Islam, 
the more they seem to be against Israel and the West. How do you how do you reconcile that then? That I mean, there is a certain actually Israeli-Palestinian conflict over time it gained so much religious currency on both sides or on all sides. If you look the initial founding of the state of Israel, uh, it was very secular. It's still a secular state, but you can see the role of religion or the language around Israeli-Palestinian conflict gained so much religious imagination, especially after 1967 war. Much of the religious skepticism around Zionism has diminished and a form of religious Zionism has emerged. And especially after the 1979 Iranian revolution on the pro-Palestinian camp, uh, if you look into the initial uh, initial Palestinian uh, resistance movements, they, they were far from being religious. They wouldn't even use any religious language to, uh, to be in solidarity or mm-hmm. for Palestinians. But over time, this political conflict has gained much more religious framing, much more religious uh, understanding, and increasingly and regretfully has been pushed as a religious conflict, or it's a conflict between Jews and Muslims or Judaism and Islam. And there are there's so much evidence uh, into um, why some of the most horrific anti-Israeli, anti-Zionist or anti-Semitic voices are coming from uh, coming from more religious uh, communities uh, like Iran. There's an evil Islamic regime, a theocracy that is... Uh, but one has to go beyond the shallow coverage of the headlines. Um, one could say until three years ago, Saudi Arabia uh, was also incredibly religious and incredibly anti-Semitic. But look at, look at how certain diplomatic moves shows that much of that resistance to Israel or much of the anti-Semitism now uh, was not rooted in the in the religion, but it was in the regional, tribal, geopolitical realities. Now, Saudi Arabia, a country which has funded much of the Muslim, uh, anti-Semitic literature around the world. The, the three books that was written and given to me before 15 was financed by the Saudi Arabian government or the Wahhabi ideology there. And much of the global anti-Semitic literature in the Muslim world, these books and others translated into Muslim languages was done by the Saudi regime or Saudi money. Now going, now you see that there's a major shift that they are now going through their textbooks. Not only, they are, they are hitting the brakes. That means there is nothing innately scripture or theological or religious. Uh, this is politics playing and weaponizing religious identities. Uh, against one another. I, this is this is wonderful to hear because the way, unfortunately, Islam is portrayed as a religion is one which is very intolerant of any anyone else other than you know and you know it, and and it, it's such a shame because, that because we have so many similarities. I mean, Judaism and Islam carry. I've always said, and with the greatest respect to my Christian, uh, you know, cousins. There's there's so much more that we have in common, Jews, theologically, spiritually, with Islam than we do with Christianity. It's a much closer faith system, and but but you know, and and when I have that conversation with colleagues of mine, they were like, yeah, but you know, look, look at all the religious Muslims; they they hate Jews, <laughs> and and 
the more secular the government, the, the, sad, Arab government, the, sad, you know. thing, the sad thing, Mark, is people will say that. Look at the religious Muslims. They hate us. If you ask them how many religious Muslims you have ever met, how many Muslims came to your Shabbat dinner, how many mosques you visited, like they created this perception and reality in their mind without really checking and verifying by only just relying on the political headlines uh, in a post 9-11 United States. It's, and I see the similar thing on the Muslim side. Oh, Jews hate us. Jews are Islamophobic. Israel wants to destroy this and that. Like, And you ask them how many Jews you met, mm-hmm. how many uh, Israelis you have ever had a 10-minute meaningful conversation. There is no real evidence. It is a perception. Don't get me wrong. There are people who prove that perception right. As I said, like there are evil people doing evil things in the name of Islam, like Hamas, Hezbollah, Iranian regime. The list is, goes on. And, and let's say 1.7 billion people and right. 1,400 years history. Right. If you look, as you said, not only we have theological uh, similarities, just look at the way in which Rambam, uh, Maimonides, that is being produced by a Muslim civilization, yeah. the way he talks about um, how Quran and Islam is one manifestation of Torah, mm-hmm. one continuation of Torah, in a yeah. way, a branch from the tree yeah, of Torah, and he said, halakhically, there is nothing wrong if a Jew davens and prays in a mosque. Mm-hmm. He couldn't say the same about a church, right. because he understands that theologically, it's not the same. Yeah. But if you look, if you look into 1400 years of Muslim Jewish history, where Jewish experience under Muslim rule, um, it wasn't egalitarian, it wasn't 21st century progressive liberal democracy, it wasn't equal citizenship, but if you compare their experience to Christian Europe, oh, where yeah. Yeah, every Good Friday is a sports killing Jews, program right. after program, and Holocaust, there is nothing like that. No. But I'm saying this to, to, to really challenge that perception that something is innately anti-Semitic for Islam, or something is inherently anti-Jewish about Islam as a religion. This is absolutely categorically not true. So out of, let's say, if we took 100 mosques, and I don't mean, you know, in, in the Gaza Strip where Hamas rules or in, in, in Lebanon where Hezbollah is, 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 is deeply entrenched, but if you took 100 mosques in America, in the United States, okay, what percentage of those mosques, in your opinion, and maybe you don't know the answer to this question, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know the answer, but co- complete your question. Right. What percentage of those mosques would be, um, would you feel comfortable saying they're just preaching the Quran and there's no anti-Semitism and they they have the kind of view that you are espousing of the Quran and of Islam? Would you, I mean, I'm just curious. And even if you can just give me a ballpark based on your perception. Have you, have you Mark, ever been to a mosque yourself? No. You live in New York, right? I've been, I've, I've, um. No, I've not been, no. Good, good Where point. do you live? I live in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So I within a mile from where you live, there are at least 100 mosques, right. a few miles between New Jersey and Connecticut. I'm sure there are a number of mosques. Don't rely on me. Just uh, go to Islamic City or Islamic uh, search online and put your zip code, and it will give you all the Islamic right. centers, Muslim community centers, Muslim cultural centers, and check yourself, especially in the United States. I would say overwhelming majority, if not all hundred of them, 
will have no intentional and deliberate anti-Semitism, will welcome, and you will find out that they have Jewish friends, they are doing Habitat for Humanity homes, they are running, uh, they are running um, soup kitchens and shelters maybe in partnership with mostly more liberal and reformed Jewish organizations and communities right, right. Uh, who, can, who can politically sort of at least put elephants in the room and work on those kind of situation. I would say overwhelming majority of the Muslim community will be in the United States open. Uh, the existing anti-Semitism in the Muslim community and existing Islamophobia in the Jewish community is often quote-unquote innocent. They don't know. They don't know what is, my community doesn't often know, what is criticizing the policies of the state of Israel. What is advocating for the human rights uh, violations that Palestinians are enduring under Israeli occupation? And where is the line for anti-Semitism? Right. How do right. you cross that line? Right. And many in the Jewish community, right. similarly, they don't know what is condemning Islamic extremism or Muslim terror. And when is when that crosses line into uh, casting a cloud of suspicion to the religion of Islam and the entire Muslim community? That requires some education, some interaction. So how do you do, why have you gotten, I mean, according to what you're saying, I'm just, according to the way you're describing the situation, you're saying the overwhelming majority of mosques in America or throughout the world are not espousing anti-Semitism. So how do you explain so much of the anti-Semitism that that is found in the Muslim world, you're saying that it really has more secular, nationalistic roots. No, 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 and, no. And it's being kind of it's being masked as Islam. It's being masked through the religion. I I, I think I'm not, I'm not talking about and and Imam Abdullah. I'm not talking about Hamas. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about the radical groups now. I'm right. Talking about typical, you know, everyday Muslims, good people going about their lives. Is they're not as far as you, because I I don't know, and, and I can show up at a hundred mosques, and maybe I should, but I I still probably wouldn't be able to answer this. They're not being taught in their Muslim studies anything negative about the Jew, as far as you know. Well, <clears throat> you sort of summarized, and exactly in the in the short answer to your question is is yes. Mo many of the Muslim communities are seeing Israeli-Palestinian conflict through the lenses, through the prism of Palestinian suffering. Mm -hmm. sure. My community, they would often say, I have no problem with the Jews. I have no problem with Judaism. I have no problem Judaism being a religion. I have no problem, as you said, in much of Islamic theology is the continuation of the, of the Jewish religion and Jewish understanding. But they would say, I am not anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish or anti-Judaic, but I am anti-Zionist. Mm -hmm. I have problem with the state of Israel. I and have problem not, with let me just jump in, and that's not an excuse, you know, because a lot of people in the Jewish community believe, including Rabbi Sachs, who wrote this, that 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 is often just an excuse for anti-Semitism. Yes, that you can't really say I hate the I Jews. I agree. I agree. I agree, and that's irresponsible because many Jews they don't make a distinction uh, between their Jewish identity and their Zionism. It's one of the same. Mm -hmm. So. My community's vulnerability is they have a, they have a relatively easier time in accepting Judaism as a religion and Jews as a religious community, but they don't know how to accept Judaism as people, as a nation, as a as a as a community and tribe that has 
uh, aspiration for sovereign nation state. Mm -hmm. uh, like for me, I have a distinction between Turkish nationalism and my Muslim identity. But in many, for many Jewish brothers and sisters, it's one of the same. Their Judaism being both religion as well as uh, being a peoplehood, that is not a very clearly understood uh, understood reality for many Muslims. And they, they need friends like you and others who will who will walk this journey with them, who will interact with them. But I I speak confidently. Look, I take Muslim anti-Semitism very seriously, and it's on the rise. I try to defeat Muslim anti-Semitism when it comes in the form of secularism and in the religious form, which is increasing in the United States included as a discourse. Thankfully, it's not as violent as it is now in the Middle East and other places. I don't take this very seriously. But to say that all bridges are born burned and the Muslims all over the world are irredeemably anti-Semitic. That is not true. That's beyond, no, of course of that's, course that cannot be further from the truth. No, no, of course not. And what do you think we can do? I guess just having more of these conversations can't hurt. What do you think we can do um, to foster mm -hmm. greater understanding? Because, you know, you're, you're, you're um, a, a Muslim scholar, so you'll appreciate this. Sure. You know, Christians, Christianity is a faith. And you can be an American Christian, and your faith is Christianity. And you, in in nation, in 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 terms of your nationality, you're an American. If yes. you live in Turkey and you happen to be a Christian, again, your faith is in you believe in Jesus, but your nationalism is one of of Turkish descent. Jews were a strange breed because <laughs> theologically. Am I an anti-Semite if I agree that statement? <laughs> Oh, I, no. So what I'm trying to say about Jews is that part of our religion is believing we're also a nation. Yes. So my nation, my national identity, I'm proud to be an American, but my national identity is Jewish. You know, yes, that requires a lot of learning and growing. That's exactly what I what I grow to learn and love and appreciate. And that helped me my from my own recovery of antisemitism in terms of what can be done. I really hope you growing up in New York, being there and not being a mosque as a religious Jew, like that's something we can easily fix. We mm -hmm. can we can easily fix. Um, much of the much of what can be done between Jews and Muslims, how to defeat Muslim anti-Semitism and how to defeat anti-Muslim hatred in the Jewish communities in the Middle East, in Europe, regretfully, much of the exits are being missed. Opportunities are the opportunities for Jews and Muslims uh, to come together to reconcile. It is much more difficult, much, much more difficult in the Middle East, in North Africa, in France, in England. Whereas in the United States, not all boats have sailed. We still have a really ringing voice of Sinai, a very strong moral imperative in a country where Jews and Muslims are both minorities and the goodness of America, the civil liberties of America is inviting us to stop playing this proxy game, acting like a proxy foot soldiers for an international conflict in America. Jews on the Israeli camp, Muslims on the Palestinian camp, we are undermining each other in some places uh, by, by not taking anti-Semitism and Muslim hatred seriously. We don't know how to invest in our American citizenship and American identity and talk about Israeli-Palestinian conflict mm -hmm. as citizens of this wonderful country. We have to create space 
to be able to air out disagreements, political disagreements, without turning them into moral disagreements and talk about this issue as Americans. And in that, allow me to give a two very substantial homework. My community's moral homework, my community's collective wisdom more or less failed in their understanding of Zionism as a form of Jewish nationalism. My community, because of all sorts of complicated reasons, because of the way in which we saw and understood the creation of the state of Israel, mm-hmm. sort of arrived to a very wrong conclusion that Zionism is one thing, it's a monolithic reality, and it's evil, and it's horrible. My community have to unlearn what they know of Zionism, and they have to relearn Zionism through the incredible diverse uh, experiences of the Jewish people in America. It is not one thing, it is many things. As we Muslims rightfully take offense when people try to make us feel, make us or present us as one thing, and it's terrible, we shouldn't make the similar moral offense to other people. I think for the most part, my Jewish brothers and sisters' moral homework in terms of how we can do this together is, is their ability to internalize and understand the Palestinian suffering a little bit more differently Mm -hmm. and more and i know many of my jewish brothers and sisters they do care about palestinian suffering they know that palestinian suffering is not a fiction they know there are real human beings there who are deprived from all sorts of rights and liberties and it's not entirely israel's fault their own leaders are much worse in many cases But there is a way in which my Jewish brothers and sisters can really understand and discern and internalize Palestinian suffering a little bit better so that they can hear from their fellow Americans who happen to be Muslim. When we talk about Palestinian suffering, we are not talking about annihilation of Israel. We are not talking about killing Jews. We are not triggering some existential fears or some old unhealed wounds. Uh, We are talking about issue of justice and human rights which in that frame, many Jews would be on, on our side. Like majority of the American Jews are two-state solutionists. So as the majority of the so, so majority of the American Muslims, every poll shows overwhelming majority of the both Jewish and Muslim communities in the United States are two-state solution people. They want Correct. these two communities to live side by yeah. side. But somehow... So what, what do we do? So Imam, Imam, what do we do now? First of all, I really appreciate your comments here. I... Um, what do we do now that this two-state solution just seems like it's not happening, at least in the short term? I think I think our leaders should continue to press forward to try to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But as long as Israel doesn't believe that it has a partner for peace, it's not going to have the confidence to enable a, a, a state that it that that it feels it could be attacked by to be neighboring it. You know, um, that's what happened in Gaza, and they're just concerned. You know, justifiably concerned that um, uh, allowing the present leadership to create a state is just going to create a big Gaza situation for Israel. Given that reality, what do we do here in the United States? Because you know what happened after the last Gaza incursion, and this keeps happening all the time. There's a provocation, and then there's a back and forth, and then Israel has to go in and stop the rocket attacks, and then. There's, there, there are incidents that take place here. I had to talk to my, my kids about whether or not I have three boys and a girl in my sat down. May Allah protect them all. Amen. Thank you. And my, I had to um, 
sit down with my boys and discuss whether we should put baseball hats on and not wear our kippot or yarmulkes anymore in New York City because there was a period of time this past summer we had this big rally in Washington, but not much has changed. One third of all hate crimes right now in New York City, uh, according to the police commissioner, uh, this past year were against Jews, one third. So it was about 308 hate crimes, about 100 of them were against Jews. And it all seemed to happen after, or it seemed to develop after the last Gaza conflict. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what, what and, and I know this is a really hard question to answer, and I'm asking no, you- No, it's, answer, it's, it, it's not an answerable question. So I want to share a couple of so, observations, Mark. So wait, let me, let me just say, in, in, in the absence of a two-state solution, which doesn't look like it's in the cards right now, and hopefully, mm-hmm. with God's help, it will change, and we'll have that. But right now, for the next six months to a year, what do we do every time there's a conflict in Israel and then there's an anti-Semitic outbreak here? Because mm-hmm. to Jews, it doesn't seem like anyone's making a distinction between, oh, we respect you as a religion, but we don't like what your brothers and sisters are doing over there in the Middle East. Right. So, you know, when, when, we're, when we're doing whatever we're doing, it's because we, we're against what you're doing nationally, not religiously. It's the same thing. <laughs> Right, right. Let me share a couple of observations. I'm not sure if I'm with you, uh, if I agree with some of the uh, some of the premises uh, and some of the statements that you have made here. I think one one thing we can do uh, in the long run, we shouldn't essentialize this Israeli-Palestinian conflict or what's going on in the Middle East as a fight between good and evil. And one side is all good and other side is all evil. Agreed. The, to say that there is no partner in peace and the, or absence of the peace is only because of the fault of the Palestinian side. I don't know. Like for a, for a complicated, I am an imam. More than I like, more than I appreciate, I facilitate so many divorce cases. You sit down in front of uh, two adults who built a beautiful life together, and now yeah, they're going to divorce. It's the worst. It's the worst part of my rabbinate. I it hate. Takes, it. Yeah. I know. Like, and then you listen to people, and they the way they tell their story is, oh my god, and they have all these self-serving facts. They have all these self-righteous memories. Uh, they they are in a way self-justifying that it is all one party's fault. It takes two to destroy peace. It takes two to. Uh, and different proportions. You never know, and you may never know exactly. So let's make sure we we understand how complicated Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, how much um, over the years uh, even has gotten a lot more complicated. Look, um, I don't know if Israel can in right mind say there is no peace uh, when now they have an Islamic government, uh, when they have Mansur Abbas, when they have... Um, an incredible opportunity to model and exemplify because Israel's primary test of sincerity for peace is not with Palestinians in West Bank and Gaza. Israel's primary sincerity test is the for peace is towards their own citizens, 20% of the Israeli society who are Palestinian, who are Christians and Muslims. Uh, and they have to show that they, they are equal citizens in every aspect and there is no systemic or structural discriminations against them. Israel as a Jewish democratic state can uphold those Jewish as well as democratic values at the same time. It's possible. So let's not essentialize the conflict. Second, before you get to number two, if I can just respond 
because it's very important. I agree with you wholeheartedly on the Israeli Arabs, the two million Israeli Arabs that are living side by side with my Jewish brothers and sisters in Israel. And I think it's been an incredible experiment. It's far from perfect on both sides. No question. Far from perfect, but there is an impressive and growing yeah. fuller side of the glass. Yeah. Yeah, now that one has to pay attention. Regretfully, uh, neither Muslims or pro-Palestinian right, American Muslims, right, nor the pro-Israeli Jews are paying enough attention. People say, "I love Israel." I ask, "What percentage of Israel do you love?" If you only care and understand and love Jewish Israel, you only like eighty percent of Israel. Right. True. If you like Israel yeah. and love Israel in totality, you have to consider the other twenty yeah. percent. And that's why there's a mosque. I I, I, brand, I brought my group to the Knesset. There's a mosque in the Knesset. I know. I prayed there many times. Right. So so that's beautiful. So I so that's beautiful. But we were talking about this two-state solution, which is a state for the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, and respectfully. As long as the Palestinian Authority, which is the governing body for the Palestinian people, that's not a terrorist state, you know, in terms of you know like Hamas and Hezbollah. As long as they continue this pay-for-slave program, which unfortunately still prevails, they're still giving money to Palestinians that commit terrorist attacks. That's coming from the PA. We still have evidence that that's happening. That has to stop. It's gone through ups and downs, and there's been. I have friends who are involved in that, you know, legislation, but it just, I, you can't expect Israel to uh, promote a two-state solution with a governing entity that's still paying some of their people secretly, quietly, incentivizing them to commit acts of terror against Jews in Israel. And I'm sure you're against that. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. Going God- back to my, going back to my divorce analogy, Mark, if I can call you uh, Rabbi Mark. Mark. Mark is great. Thank you. And please feel free to call me Abdullah. Mm-hmm. There is enough blame to go around on all sides. Uh, and I, I I, really have played that for a long time. I don't see any fruits of it. What mm-hmm. I was planning to say was the previous administration, Trump administration, showed how effective we can be for better or for worse, if we want to, as an honest mediator and power broker in the Middle East as Americans. If we work as American Jews and American Muslims, if we do our part in influencing American foreign policy, American diplomacy, American soft and hard power, in pushing, ex- exercising tough love and the soft love in ways that we, we, we should do, in, in making two-state solution as a non-negotiable policy decision for America, that's where we can make a difference. There is very little you and I can do about PA, Probably there is very little we can do about the increasing the far-right governments in Israel. But there are things that we can do here in the United States. That's what I want to call American Jews and American Muslims' attention to what we can do here in the United States. Well, we, listen, but Abdullah, we can try to get our act together better here in America, no question. Hmm. And that can start by us spending more time with each other in each other's houses of worship. I totally agree with all that. The question is, if you, if if you're what you're suggesting is that we work together to push Israel to implement a two-state solution. I'm all I'm all for that too, as long as the, the state that Israel would be helping to form or supporting is not run by people that are paying their own people privately to commit acts of terror. As, as long as that can change, sure. you know, but but currently Look, I was I was part of Secretary John Kerry's peace plan. 
Yeah. And I think it was a it was one of many failed peace processes. But I think that particular peace process was one of the most significant attempt to understand and legitimize Israel's security concerns. Israel's and Jewish Israelis' security concerns vis-a-vis Palestinians and the broader Middle East is not a fiction. There are people with missiles, tens of thousands of them in the in Lebanon and so many in Hamas. I think Secretary Kerry's plan was one of the most successful attempt to accommodate, understand, and mm-hmm. legitimize Israel's Israel's security concerns. But it was also one of the most significant truth-telling uh, to Jewish Israelis that you can rely on your military and technological and economic power for a long time. Somehow Jews can carve themselves out of the Middle East and figuratively or literally hide behind the walls right. and, and experience peace and prosperity without peace and prosperity for the Palestinians. If anybody is dreaming this, like somehow, who cares yeah, about no. Palestinians? We will right. we will look for our own happiness and prosperity. This is a pipe dreaming. I will ask, yeah, what, the, right. what the heck are you smoking? Right. So <laughs> I, Palestinian, I, Palestinian, I totally agree. Palestinian peace is essential to Israeli and Jewish peace and prosperity That's and true. vice versa. We mm-hmm. have to equally care and we have to equally advocate, invest, nurture, and power for both communities, independent, thriving societies. A hundred percent. And I think, I think, listen, you ask the typical Israeli, they want peace with their Palestinian neighbors. They do. And creating this little, like you said, this wall and, <laughs> and, and peace and prosperity, carving out this little Jewish enclave within the this broader, it's what we call in Hebrew, a bidyevid situation in in, mm. in halachic religious literature. There's what's called the chatzchila and bidyevid. The chatzchila means the ideal way you go about something, which is the way ideally you should live as a Jew. And then right. there's there there's the situation where you can't have the ideal. Like in we have this in the halachic system. You have a bidyevid. It's 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 not great, but it's fine. Okay? <laughs> so, and and I and I think most Israelis would probably agree that. We're living a bidyevid situation with our Arab neighbors because if exactly. we had we would have the way Jews and Muslims used to relate to each other, right? And 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 as you said before, and I appreciate you acknowledging it, it wasn't egalitarian under Muslim rule. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't what we have today. And right. I I think we all want to change that. The question is, do we have the leadership to change it? Because you and I in America, if we I don't want to get involved and push Israel to 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 uh, implement a two-state solution with a partner that is going to create a bigger problem. That's what happened in Gaza. I remember my tour guide. You know, I bring groups to Israel every summer, and um, my tour guide back in 2006, when when um, Israel basically took the 7,500 or so Jews that were living in uh, Gush Katif, which is the Gaza Strip, and forcibly removed them. So there were a lot of Jews against that. My tour guide, who fought in the IDF, was a captain in the IDF, he was in, in favor of that. He said, we need to give them their own place. And there's 7,500 Jews being protected from a million Arabs, he said. It's just not a good, it's not smart. Okay, and then, and listen, it's, it's easy, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. But 
that unfortunately that I think people are shell shocked from what happened there. Here's an example of where we gave something unilaterally and say, let's see what you do with this. You can have, and then it turns into. But my it doesn't brother Mark, my brother Mark, try to see the world through the eyes of the gods and people. I think the narrative that you lay out there, and I heard we left them, we gave them Gaza, um, and they innately, inherently, for no reason, choose war. I encourage you to, if uh, the kind of implication here, who would choose between peace, prosperity, running water, sending your children to school, and war and death for no reason? Again, there is no justification to Hamas terror. Hamas is evil. Um, but there is more to the story than people for no reason choosing war. Uh, so why, in your opinion, Abdullah, why, to, why have they taken this To, to this neglect, to neglect, yes, you, Israeli forces and settlements left Gaza, but Israel continues to determine the fate of Gazan people, what gets into Gaza, what gets out of the Gaza, with some security, legitimate security concern. And their life has not improved in any way. And Israel shares a partial responsibility, at least, of that human misery. Because even a milk powder cannot enter, a medicine cannot enter, the hospitals cannot enter. At least a partial responsibility of the military siege that turned Gaza effectively an open-air prison. Even though they may be free to uh, move around within the prison, but their connection to the external world is completely controlled by the by the Israeli government. So... Again, I, I don't want to respond to those facts by my own self-serving facts. <clears throat> what, I, what I would like to focus on is, um, in the United States, is there a way in which American policies could acknowledge Israel's, Jewish Israelis' very legitimate, very real security concerns, existential concerns, survival concerns, yet at the same time can empower the bad faith elements uh, to eliminate the evil organizations like Hamas and other Islamic Jihad type of organizations from the Palestinian community and empower the civic institutions and civic structures within the Palestinian society to help these people to build independent Palestinian state. I think we have a pretty good chance. If we miss this chance, then we are heading into a collusion. And I think one of the very few good things in my mind the previous administration has done through Abraham Accord, without even realizing, I don't know if that was their intention, because Abraham Accord initially was an alliance against a common enemy, Iran. But it went beyond that common enemy. Yeah, look, yeah, at, yeah. look at what's unfolding. Now it shows the alliance in UAE, in Bahrain, in Saudi Arabia, in Morocco, and now even, inshallah, God willing, in Sudan. If the civilian wing of the Sudanese government will uh, win the in the next phase of this transition, Sudan will be the next government uh, accepting, inshallah, the legitimacy of the state of Israel and establishing diplomatic relationship with Israel. So who can say no, Muslims and Arabs will never accept the legitimacy of the state of Israel? Who can say there is no partners in the region, in the area where Israel can establish economic, political, cultural, peaceful ties? There is enough evidence that it's possible. Let's push in the same direction to make sure whatever modest achievements that Abraham Accord achieved in terms of indigenizing and legitimizing Israel in the Middle East will be expanded to other Muslim-majority uh, countries in the region. As you beautifully said it, inshallah, 
that would be incredible. And uh, I, I, I 100% agree, even though that this, these Abrahamic Accords were, were there to, to deal with a common foe, Iran, it has developed into something really, really a fundamental respect between our two cultures and our faiths. And it's not just an economic cooperation. I have friends involved in the whole process there, and it, it's it's a beautiful thing. You can now get kosher food, you know, in uh, you know in these parts of the world where it was dangerous for a Jew to go, and that's unbelievable, and that's very encouraging. The yes. difference is is those those governments have made a choice, and in my opinion, Abdullah, the Palestinian <laughs> people need to make a choice to live side by side and to put down our arms and stop fighting each other and come to a mutual recognition of respect. That's the only way. And we that's why- extremely careful, uh, my brother Mark. What we say, even remotely, is not implying blaming the victim here. I believe not only Palestinians, but any human being, any decent human being, if they are given an equal choice between war and peace between death and life they will choose peace and life yeah but the only problem is with that analysis is that you are not taking into account you are not taking into account that people unfortunately in the muslim world are raising their children to believe that it is more valuable that's categorically not true i, I mean are you going to teach me my community do, no, do you no, know no. my community better those no, no. elements that you just mentioned in that in the Muslim community is incredibly marginal, reprehensible people. They don't right, represent but, the majority they, of the Muslim community. They represent a large swath of the leadership. That Certainly. is not true. That is really not true. In, That's what I'm trying really, to convince in, you. In in Gaza Strip, it is, and that's who we're talking about now. Number two, in the West Bank, it is. They're still poisoning small Muslim children with anti-Semitism like you were poisoned as a child. It's still in the books, my friend. So if that doesn't change, I mean, <laughs> just saying, and then you and I are going to work to push Israel to make a peace treaty with, with, their, with those Not leaders. Not only pushing Israel, but also pushing Palestinians. Palestinian I get it, leadership. But, but Palestinians have to, we have to stop the rhetoric. and We have to stop learning to hate each other. Okay, and there are no books in Israel that teach that teach Israelis to hate Arabs. But there are books in the Gaza Strip and in the West Bank, textbooks in schools that are teaching Muslim children to hate Jews. And, and I'm sorry, I, and Abdullah, I have I a think great- the scale of the problem is really exaggerated. Tel Aviv University has run through wonderful, helpful study. And they, they went through many West Bank schools and textbooks, um, again, this kind of misinformation based on uh, not scientific uh, work is, is not helpful. And also that equation that there may not be any books teaching hate against Muslims and Arabs in Israel. But if you look in the last two decades, anti-Arab racism and violence against Arab citizens, uh, both in Israel as well as in West Bank, has significantly increased as well. We are, we are talking about the conflict context. Where yeah, Abdullah, there's a clear di distinction here. There's a clear distinction. I'm not saying there isn't, there aren't Jews who don't develop hatred towards Arabs. Of course, that's true, and that's wrong, and it should be stopped. But there's nothing systematic in the Israeli educational program, and there is within the Palestinian 
educational program, and that's not exaggerated. That's well-documented, as is the pay-to-slay program. Now, again, fundamentally, and that's why I'm so honored that you came on this podcast. Pleasure and honor is mine. Thank you. Thank you. That fundamentally, there is no, there's nothing between our face that should be keeping us from loving and respecting each other. Okay. Absolutely. That's, the most, that's, I think, one of the most important things that came out of this whole conversation that I want my Jewish listeners to hear that you are a faith based Muslim cleric who believes that there's nothing in the Quran, there's nothing in that. And I get it. And, but the quite but you cannot deny that there's anti Semitism being taught to Palestinian children. And I understand that there are reasons, this, that, and the other, but it doesn't matter. The, react, the facts are, if we, how do we, because I would like to work with you and I would like to work with other Muslim clerics, but if it's going to be to work with my Muslim brothers and sisters here in America to get Israel and the Palestinian Authority to create a two-state solution when the Palestinian Authority is led by individuals still that will not recognize the Jewishness of the state, a and B, get rid of those textbooks, and C, stop paying terrorists to kill Mark, Jews. You seem to have a very clear idea what Palestinian authority or Palestinian leadership should do. What do you think Israeli leadership should do to achieve this? I think what the Israeli leadership should do, which has done to a large degree, but not fully, um, is to com- continue to keep lines of communication open, to try to treat its Palestinian neighbors with a great greatest decency and respect as any human being needs to treat each other as much as they possibly can. And they need to protect their people from rocket attacks and from individual acts of terror, which are not only being taken place by Hamas and Hezbollah, but by individual Palestinians who grew up in the West Bank and 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 and, and are not ruled by Hamas or Hezbollah. That's the problem. How do we get rid of, how do we replace those leaders with more with with leaders that want to that, that that will stop teaching the hate that that still hateful, happens. Hateful leaders are like cancers; they take their power. Or hateful leaders of any kind, they take their power like a cancer from a deteriorated immune system. If the overall immune system of any society is healthy, functional, if the values and the virtues of Judaism and Islam is on full display. Those hateful leadership will not rise to the power, inshallah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's dedicate our lives to establishing peace where we can here in America first and exporting to Middle East. If we haven't done what we are supposed to do here, if we haven't taken Jewish-Muslim reconciliation as a priority in the United States where it's possible, correct? where things are possible, correct. especially 100%. in places like New York, and 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 other ways. And Abdullah, I would add also what you mentioned before about looking at what's happening with the Abrahamic Accords, because it is I f- I find that people are not taking that as seriously because because it was a Trump initiated program. So anything that Trump had something to do with becomes tainted by some people. So, but I think that's a mistake because God, as we know, works through mysterious ways. Okay, true. And true. the bottom line is is that Muslims and Jews are getting along in a whole host of other countries. And please, God, inshallah, as you said, that should, only spread, that should Bezrat Hashem should only spread. And you and I should continue to talk, and we can continue to argue. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's what friends do. That's, yeah. what, that's what loving, caring people and friendship means. You don't only say what you want to hear, but you display your disagreements as well. It's been an honor. 
it seems you are out of time. Thank you. We are out of time. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I I really applaud you for coming on and for the amazing work you're doing. I wanted to talk a little about college campus, but I want to bless you that you should continue your holy work on college campuses throughout the United States. And God should continue to bless you and your family with just good good things to come. And Israel Hashem. Vimru, Vimru, Amen. amen I would amen. like to give a shout out to my colleagues at Shalom Hartman Institute. Yeah. The program that we are running there, Muslim Leadership Initiative, is one good example of how uh, decency, good education, moral courage can really move Jews and Muslims forward despite and against all odds and difficulties that we are facing through. I really hope next time when you and I talk, it will be at the Second Avenue Delhi or anywhere else uh, where you have we will you will invite your newfound Muslim friends. <laughs> and right. and I would love to host you here in North Carolina uh, when you come to visit one day. That would be an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Abdul, and thank you for your thank time. Thank you. Abdul. God bless all of you, and my regards and my salam and peace to all the all the people in the audience. Thank you so much. Salam alaikum. We'll be in touch. Alaikum shalom. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.